1: up everybody. Welcome back to Spin Rate the Athletic Toronto Blue Jays podcast. A little bit of a pregnant pause in there. But yes, this is where we talk about your Toronto Blue Jays, the team that just won three out of four from the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. My name is Drew Fair Service. I am the host of this show that I co-host once a week with the Athletics Toronto Blue Jays writer, journalist. She covers the team. Her name is Caitlin McGrath. She just joins us in beautiful downtown New York. Caitlin, how are you?
2: I'm good. How are
1: you? I'm good. I'm good. Beautiful downtown Manhattan. Uh, maybe not beautiful downtown new york works better that's the whole bit uh as i said we do the show twice a week make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast get it there twice a week once with me and caitlin once with me and former blue jays also ricky romero make sure you go to com slash right Subscribe so you can read everything that caitlin writes you can listen to the show ad free you can read everything anyone writes about anything on the athletic you can read about the cursed west ham united you can read about uh, things that are less important than west ham united but mostly you can read caitlin on the blue jays who are flying high Came very, very close to sweeping a four game set at Yankee Stadium before falling after a late home run by Andrew Benintendi, of all people, in the Bronx. But a lot to unpack lots of fireworks, lots of filled diapers and red asses there in New York. Caitlin, I can't think of a thing that's better that could have gone, while it wasn't a sweep, it would be very difficult to imagine things going any better in this series than they did with the Blue Jays coming out taking three of four and making maybe the AL East a little bit more competitive as well as a wild card race moving forward.
2: Yeah, I think obviously a sweep would have been the perfect scenario and the Blue Jays definitely wanted that sweep and it was within their realm. They came back and they tied it at 2-2 in the seventh on a bases loaded walk uh, by Jackie Bradley Jr. and then Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Vladimir Gurriel Jr. are not able to... Hit that decisive, breaking the game open hit. Then the Yankees come back in the bottom of that inning, hit the home run. And overall, though, I think that you like the way the Blue Jays played in this series especially I sort of wrote this in my most recent piece that everyone can read right now and it's just that everything was coming together in this series you got great starting pitching you got a lot of timely hitting you got hitting when the guy when guys were on base and so that you're doing most damage possible you had the bullpen performing really really well basically up into that Adam Simber moment where he gave up the home run but you kind of just live with that to some extent because Adam Simber has been excellent for you he's carried a huge load and he's He's not a guy that gives up a ton of home runs, and it was to right field in Yankee Stadium. Although he did, Benetton, did hit it a lot. Like, it went way out. But at the same time, Yankee Stadium is a tough place to play. It's a hostile environment. They were probably more hostile, honestly, to their own team this weekend than to the Blue Jays, but it's still a tough place to play. And I know that some of this stuff is kind of, how do I put this? It's sometimes hard to be in the Blue Jays position when a team is so desperate for a win. I think we almost saw that a couple of days ago with the Blue Jays playing the Orioles and that like the Jays needed a win so badly. And so the Orioles were trying to sweep them at home and the Jays obviously had that big six run inning. Ross Stripling went out and was nearly perfect for seven innings. I think sometimes it's hard to be the team that is going good when the other team is going really, really bad. And I just kind of, especially how Saturday nights or Saturday, and then sort of in the evening, Aaron Boone, like slamming his hand and getting all mad. And like the Yankees, all everyone was all mad on the Yankees. And so sometimes like on the one hand, like you can maybe see the collapse just continue, but also the Yankees are still a a team that can win. They can still hit. And so, I I just felt like it was going to be hard for the Blue Jays to get that sweep. Like, it just seemed like it was a scenario where, like, the Yankees had almost already hit their low point, and the ball was sort of bound to bounce their way a little bit. But I will say that I don't know that the Yankees are out of it because coming into this Blue Jays series, the storyline was that you have these two teams that were kind of not doing so hot. They both had these big wins, and then they were going to come together. The Yankees obviously had that walk-off win on a Josh Donaldson grand slam, and that momentum just completely evaporated the next day against the Blue Jays. So, I think there's it's still almost a like lot it's of... not
1: real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I didn't I know mean, any better,
2: it's true. It's like just because you win a game and you snap a losing streak does not mean that you necessarily start a winning streak. Now, in the Blue Jays case they actually have done kind of a good job of following up losing streaks with winning streaks to some extent but it doesn't mean automatically that it's going to happen so it was a very entertaining series though there was so much happening a lot of good things for the blue jays a lot of good performances a lot to unpack just how bad things were for the yankees just a lot of unrest and it's funny like you hear yankees fans like They're so stressed out or whatever, and it's like, even if things had gone terribly, terribly wrong and they did get swept, they still would have had a six-game lead in the division.
1: A six-game lead in the division, though, considering where they were, feels like the sky is falling. And I made a comment on Twitter as the Blue Jays were mounting the comeback that ended up obviously falling a little bit short, though they were able to tie the game. Uh, you know, bringing bringing Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to the bases to the plate with the bases loaded, and when Gurriel came up, only one out. You feel good about that, and I, I made a comment like that could have been enough to maybe get Aaron Boone fired, which is crazy to think that you would fire the manager when you're in first place by at that point seven games. But the way that the Yankees have been going, and then you again, you, as you mentioned, you see them. Just melting down on Saturday, Garrett Cole losing his mind. Garrett Cole getting you know banging his fists on the on the roof of his of of the dugout and and doing all that sort of all those histrionics and uh, you know because when he got beat he, he didn't you know he got he gave up he gave up an extra base hit to Alejandro Kirk which is uh, sometimes it feels like hard to do but uh, but just uh, a really a rough outing even though he had times times he looked great and with the when the lineup was announced uh, and Garrett Cole started. Out pretty well. It was like, oh, maybe the Blue Jays are going to get no hit today. And then the next thing you know, the you know the, the the one big rally comes through. The Yankees aren't able to scrape anything across. Aaron Judge is kind of scuffling and kind of without John Carlos Stanton. There's you know there's, the offense is, has kind of struggled of late in New York. It's so funny. There's all these narratives that like take shape, and this is kind of the thing that we've we've talked about a lot and over the years as well that. Okay, we got this team coming in, and the Blue Jays kind of limp into town. Haven't gotten beat pretty good by Baltimore, and maybe the Orioles or the Yankees get that get things turned around with a a grand slam, walk off grand slam. But you do like what you see, saw from them in that they pitched so well. You know, they they didn't. There were not a a lot of like big, you know, explosive offensive outbursts, and a lot of it came up to. You know George Springer coming up with a couple clutch hits here and there, but they didn't blow the doors off the Yankees. But they just pitched so well, and the Yankees are scuffling so bad that it was, you know, the worst kind of of matchup for the Yankees in a way. That if when the Blue Jays are, are were pitching well and were able to take advantage of um, of some mistakes or get a couple timely hits, it, it really went a long way. Again, really, really like what you see from the bullpen as well as you know from the starters that allowed the bullpen to kind of. Be able and come in when it really mattered. I guess the Blue Jays have scored nine runs on. Uh, on yeah, they Thursday did kind of night. beat
2: them on Thursday.
1: But uh, you know, a really great start from Jose Barrios, which feels like a like a week and a half ago. Jose Barrios is outing Barrios, and then Gosman really set the tone. Two great great outings that uh, put the Yankees back on their heels. And then when the Jays are able to get Cole on Saturday, set them up. But you, you would never say you got to go in and sweep when it's especially when it's August sweep a four game series on the road like that is. That is usually like back to the wall type stuff. But but that difference between being back eight and being back six and having won five in a row or as opposed to winning four or five, it's not nothing.
2: Down to six games versus eight would feel like it's significant. In two days' time, it could not matter, honestly. The Yankees could lose two to the Mets because I think they're facing Scherzer and DeGrom, which will be interesting and the Blue Jays could win two, And then they're, they're six anyway. So it feels like somewhat of a missed opportunity now. But, and even still, it's, it's not even that it would be that meaningful because there's still so not so much time, but enough time that things are bound to change. And there's a lot of things that can happen between now and 40 games or so from now when the season will be over. But in terms of message sending, if the Blue Jays, went in there and swept and got the division down to six games that would certainly be a a significant message sent it's i think their series as a whole they still did their job they still succeeded they still walk away happy not that classic happy flight because they didn't win the immediate game that they are getting on the flight but i would say overall a happy flight because they did their job in New York and they, I think they actually match up pretty well against the Yankees. If we, if we wanted to look ahead, I I do.
1: I think that what we've seen from the Blue Jays can cause the Yankees problems because, because the Yankees offense is, you know, very much Aaron judge based, but you know, guys like, like Lemayhu and, and Rizzo, if the Blue Jays are, you know, they're starting pitching, is capable of keeping those guys at bay. And that's what I was going to say was it could be a happy flight in a, in a way because you think about it, this is basically a full turn through the rotation of like all good starts. Manoa, last time out against Baltimore, struggled a little bit, you know, kind of battled, but then you got, you had a great outing from Stripling, you had a great outing from Gosman, you had a great outing from Barrios, you had a great, a, a solid outing from Mitch White, and then another, another nice outing uh, today from 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 Manoa so like you feel good about that if you're the Blue Jays you, that's the kind of thing where you you hear the, the the pitchers talk about that where when the when the team is going well like that when the rotation is going you don't want to be the guy that's going to let them down you don't want to be the guy that's going to that's going to wreck that that there's that word again momentum but when everyone's going out and taking their turn and doing a great job there's that kind of internal motivation um, within them to continue to pitch and to continue, continue to do the work, and um, one thing I guess we could talk about really quick is that uh, since last we recorded an episode, the Blue Jays may maybe in a better position to go all the way through the rotation with a bunch of good starts because you say Kikuchi was of course moved into the bullpen come uh, Thursday when when Ricky and I last did an episode, and we did see him pitch, and he pitched pretty well Thursday night in a you know low leverage situation. You know, kind of looked a little wild at first, and gave up a bloop. Or to give up a was it a bloop and then a grounder a grounder and the bloop whatever give up a run but then shut no, it right he didn't down didn't he get Did oh that's right that was the other timeout that was it was his last start yeah gave up uh, had had a walk and a, and and then and then a ground ball or no that was the bloop and then he pitched well then he's two strikeouts soft ground ball whatever it was uh, but he looked good <laughs> it's it's the you know the, the I think end, it was a fly ball was.
2: but but it doesn't matter the process was that he got two men on and he got out of it.
1: And he did, and he, and he pitched well, he, and he looked dominant, you know, not maybe dominant, dominant with a small D, let's say, like a, <laughs> like a lowercase.
2: Like a D in, like, 10-point font, but the rest of the word in 12-point font.
1: You're right, it was the walk and then the single up the, up the middle, strikeout, fly ball, strikeout. We're laughing. But... An interesting revelation, uh, an interesting development as it comes to the Blue Jays as, in terms of having a, another guy back there that they're going to try to figure their, his way in. Meanwhile, they're they're still getting solid performances, as you mentioned before. You can't really kill Adam Sibber for giving up a home run because he's been so good. You know, the Blue Jays as a as a staff have been very good at avoiding the home run.
2: The bullpen as a whole has been quite good recently, not even just recently, Going back to, I saw stats today in the Blue Jays game notes, and I was somewhat aware of this, but I don't know that I did my own calculations myself. But since July, the Blue Jays bullpen is like, is like number two, I think, in ERA in the American League. And a lot of their numbers are right there up at the top of the American League. I assume the Simber one, I don't know that it would, Simber giving up two there would probably impact it a little bit, but their numbers have been really good and i was actually like asking john schneider a question during one of his availabilities and this wasn't the framing of my question but i guess i was sort of asking about the jays being well set up when they score first because they've done really well i think the other day i looked at the stat and they were like 46 and 19 when they score first and so It was like, they obviously do a good job when they can get ahead. And most teams are like that. But I was also thinking, it's been a long time since we've had a conversation about the bullpen bullpen blowing it. Like, this Adam Simber situation is the first time in a while that it's happened. Where it's like, okay...
1: I found that really interesting and I'm glad that you brought it up because in a way it feels like it kind of points to a complaint that fans have which sometimes feels like a little bit like okay come on get over like no no team is has got lights out guys from top to bottom but there have been complaints about you know there's no leverage situation low enough to 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 justify Trent Thornton Is kind of if I could paraphrase there was a game ah, I can't remember which game it was but it was the Blue Jays were close enough and then they brought in Trent Thornton and they brought in Trevor Richards and they kind of gave up a couple add-on runs. So it was like, the game was they were losing but they the things things were made worse by that kind of bottom end of the bullpen so so I think I would I would agree that you know the ERA has looked good I saw Stoughton put out a put out a, a, a one of his up and down weekend wrap things where he sort of spoke to that because somebody was saying that their ERA is really good but the FIP is is bad like they're by wins above replacement they don't rate so well which is understandable because
2: they don't strike the anybody Blue Jays
1: out. they don't strike anybody out I, I saw Mike Pacello talking about that that the the strikeout rate for for the Jays staff is like in the last month is really low, and so they don't strike anybody out. And a couple of guys they've kind of struggled with walks here and there a little bit, and kind of pitching around it. I think he cited David Phelps as one. So that means by that by that measure, they're never going to jump off the page like some of the other bullpens. But I think that the Blue Jays bullpen has been built on the cheap, we should acknowledge, but has been built with guys that can generate and manage contact in a way.
2: They're a bullpen built for a team that is supposed to be a top three offense. When And when things are going good for the Blue Jays, it all works very nicely together because the Blue Jays offense can give their bullpen a three, four, five run lead sometimes. And then I assume if you're a reliever and you're pitching and there's a five run lead, it's just a lot less stressful, even if it's kind of somewhat of a leverage situation. Like I remember even in that Thursday night game where the Jays had a significant lead, they brought in Anthony Bass just to go after Aaron Judge. And I think he struck him out or he got him out. That was all they needed Bass for. And again, it was because it was not a high stakes situation game in the sense that the Jays had a, a, a good amount of runs and of support for them. But also it's Yankee Stadium and it's Aaron Judge and you don't want him to sort of hit one out of the park and get things going and then it can spiral fast in that ballpark.
1: I would agree, uh, as I do, that the team is not – not built full of shutdown guys or Ricky and I talked about this a little bit and I think that I have like a pet theory that the Blue Jays have really value relievers who or pitchers who throw strikes more than anything. Maybe that's probably why we don't see as many of these like big armed goon reclamation projects that are kind of exploding out of their bullpen. They seem to be like we want to win now and we think the way to win is with guys who don't who throw strikes and maybe there's some kind of correlation between like a bullpen that throws strikes and a team that wins.
2: I think that also the Blue Jays have improved their def- they they've improved their defense so that they can encourage their relievers to throw strikes. And it's just another way of winning. So you can have relievers that are super nasty and throw 99 with a, a breaking ball, but half the time you don't know where it's going. And that can work to some extent, but you can also have relievers where they're going to just throw strikes and they're going to generate a lot of ground balls, but you have Matt Chapman playing third base and he makes a lot of plays and you have Espinal at second base and he makes a lot of plays. So I think that's just the other route to being successful. The Blue Jays have taken is like, yeah, you can have these wipeout type relievers, and that works sometimes, but you can also win and be successful in different ways. One of those ways is just to have a really good defense, and they do, even though people still sometimes tweet at me about how their defense makes too many mistakes, but the numbers say they are a top three offen- or defensive team in the infield, I think. And I think top five overall, or certainly top 10 overall.
1: They have definitely done what I think is you should do, especially when you're a team that's that you're in your mind is like we're going to score a lot of runs is like let's optimize the defenders that we have let's put them into, into the positions to to succeed let's kind of uh, i guess maybe like I don't know if I want to say put all the eggs in one basket, but they are definitely on like, if there's a ball, if it's a ball that we can field, let's make sure that we can convert it into an out, which again, why you see the outfielders that are switched around to the opposite way. Cause they're like, if it's pulled, it's going to go over the fence. So we'll fill the, fill the gaps and take away doubles and turn, turn balls that maybe would fall in into, into outs and the way that they've heavily used the, what is it, the Dan? The triangle defense artfully, an artful turn of phrase brought over from the basketball world. But, But yeah, it's been interesting. Now, one thing I will say, and maybe we can kind of pivot the conversation a little bit, is the offense has not scored a lot of runs. And while I was corrected in that they did, in fact, score nine runs on uh, Thursday night against the dreaded uh, New York Yankees there in the Bronx, their offense has been not super great, uh, you know, of late. They are a bottom third in baseball offense here in August, which is, of course, an arbitrary endpoint. We don't necessarily need to draw too many strong conclusions about that. But they are a below average offense in August. They walk even worse. They're even they rank even lower in terms of drawing the ability to draw walks. They're the 19th best offense by weight of runs created plus. They're in the in the mid-20s for walk rate. Uh, they're kind of in the closer to the middle in terms of hitting home runs, which of course we've seen them do. Is there any concern of yours about the way that the offense is kind of going? Like it's still, you know, you and I've talked about this with all the different ways you can try to like slice it. And when you're looking for reasons to be like the Blue Jays are bad at offense, but this is some feeling like a, a little bit, like a bit of a prolonged slump. Even guys, uh, the Lourdes Gurriel juniors of the world, who in my mind is, is having a great little last little while, but he's actually quite he cooled off quite a bit. Although Andrew Kirk, of course, has uh, has been was was been uh, better than the, in the last week or so. Uh, Ramel Tapia is not having a great time at the plate right now. Matt Chapman is uh, it was nice to see him hit that home run on Saturday, but had had a bit of a rough go of late. You know, Bobasch still sort of scuffling along. Vladdy had a had a, his, his, was on fire, and is, again, he's not going to be like that forever. But any concern? Any concern with the Blue Jays' offense on your end, Caitlin?
2: Well, I think a lot of those numbers are influenced by how the team started the month of August, or not even just quite started, but that week-long-ish period where they were really scuffling against Baltimore to some extent, really against Cleveland. They were not scoring any runs in that series against Cleveland. And then when Baltimore came to Toronto, they weren't scoring a ton of runs. And then they've, to me, they've looked like they're emerging out of it. If you look at the last few games – six runs against Baltimore, those all came in one inning, but nine runs and then four runs and then five runs and then two today when they lost. So it starts to look a little better if you're looking at the most. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's not realistic that Jays are going to score nine runs every game. Like, it even if they – we sort of think, in theory, they have the offense to capably do that. I mean, I think on average, like, their runs per game this year is probably – in the three and a half to four range type of thing. Like if anything, I say that this Yankee series, you saw a lot more good signs coming out of it. Chapman hitting some home runs, them putting up a lot of runs on the first night, getting those timely hits that they weren't getting before. Kirk had a, a big hit. Like, I think that we've seen the offense have these slow periods. And I think that, a lot of the months numbers are influenced by how bad they were for that stretch of 10 games or whatever it was so i've sort of been on the side of not usually worrying too much about the offense the same stories are still relevant yeah you're not getting the year you thought you would get out of boba shed obviously he has not been as productive as he was last year there's other guys that are streaky. Espinal's obviously come down to earth a little bit you're not getting quite as much from some of those guys Jansen is not being very productive right now and because you've seen Kirk come down to earth you're not getting quite the numbers Vlad was on quite a tear but he slowed down a little bit hard to come down on him after he was just kind of being Vladdy of 2021 for a good chunk of time there having that long hitting streak and hitting a lot of Extra base hits in that hitting streak as well, which was a good sign. So, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess you could say this offense has been disappointing this month. I I think that's certainly valid. But I would say over the last couple of games, you're seeing some good signs. And often when you're seeing that, it means they're getting it going a little bit.
1: What I will say is that what's happened in the last week, I think, is reflective of the kind of offense that the Blue Jays are. And it's also reflective of, like, how things can go when you are this kind of offense. So right now, the offense is very, the last week or so. So I'm, I'm on fan looking at, like, their performance over the last seven days, which doesn't necessarily include today, a day that they, you know, I mean, they scored two runs. They, sco- they only managed five hits, and uh, they did pick up four walks. Right. Two of those were by Whit Merrifield, Espinal, and even Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, drew a walk. So the Blue Jays offense is, is a little bit feels, I should I should add that proviso in there, feels streakier because they don't walk a lot. But the other thing is they don't strike out a lot. So if you look at the guys who have been their best hitters over the last week or weekend and, and, or so, you've got Springer, Kirk, Espinal, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and then to a lesser extent, Lourdes Guerrero Jr. The top four guys... None of them have a walk rate or a strikeout rate over 10 in that span. So that's just a lot of balls getting put in play. And when you got a lot of balls that are getting put in play and they're not necessarily going over the fence because only only Vlad has got has hit a home run of that group, then you know you're leaving it up to the ability to to carry those rallies on. Like we saw here on Sunday when they come up with the bases loaded and one out, they do put the ball in play, but they don't score any runs, right? Force out. I think it was a ground out over, so you've got those guys, really high contact guys. Which, you know, as you mentioned, Santiago Espinal is really streaky uh, because he doesn't really walk a lot, doesn't strike out a lot, doesn't hit the ball over the fence a lot. So he's at the mercy of the ball landing where it, you know, where where they ain't, as they say. Kirk similar kind of approach, and then Vlad, who is you know who is the kind of king of that. No one does it better than he does. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got Danny Jansen, who has a weighted run created plus of nine. Over the last week. Again, it's a week. Ronald Tapia, who has a weighted runs created plus of three over the last week. Bobachette, who has a weighted runs created plus of 14 over the last week.
2: I don't remember Tapia playing much.
1: He did, and then that's over 14 plate appearances. 14 plate appearances for Tapia uh, ahead of today. Uh 16 for Danny Jansen. Bobet only 24 in there. With Maryfield got 16. Again, Merrifield, a guy with, who, who's struggling, the, the guy who does walk a lot but hasn't really produced with the, with the bat, hit his first home I think his first home run as a Blue Jay, his first extra base hit in more than a week. You know, Jackie Bradley, Jackie, Jackie Bradley Jr. piece is interesting. Uh, he's got more at-bats in the last, in this weekend, than Bradley Zimmer had from the time that he was traded until the end of June, like, which says so much about what they thought about Zimmer and what they think about Jackie Bradley, even though, kind of the same guy uh the other another really interesting thing so all this has been going on how many i'll ask you off the top of your head how many plate appearances do you think Cavin biggio has had in the last week
2: not many like i'm gonna say six
1: five so if Kevin biggio is healthy why is he not getting a plate any plate appearances is it because for the i don't know how many at the time the blue jays have acquired someone to do Kevin biggio's job which is just like Whit Merrifield is Cavan Biggio now, but right-handed, but a guy who's better and a guy who walks, but like, so they don't, they don't give a lot of run to, to Biggio. They're given more, even though some of those, those those Jackie Brad, the junior at bats have now become Biggio at bats, but then you still got these guys that are just really scuffling. So, and, and Chapman again, who was a guy who, who again came around, drew a walk, got hit by a pitch, hit a home run, you know, big week for Matt Chapman, but uh, still striking out a ton. He's, he, and Danny Jansen are the guys who are like really racking up the strikeouts um, while the rest of the team just kind of puts the ball in play. So I think it, it informs our our perception of the team because you've got a, like feast or famine, you've got three, four guys in the lineup on any given day who are not swinging the bat very well and who are not able to keep the line going, which is harder when the top of the order is guys who are putting the ball in play and looking to keep the line the line moving, and right now they are, but now they're coming up against it where they're just not able to, to score that many runs. Again, the Blue Jays is a team that's hit five home runs in the last week. Getting back to the original point of this, the Blue Jays offense, the Blue Jays as a team are not meant to be successful when they hit five home runs in a week. They're a team that needs to hit lots of home runs all the time. Five does not feel like enough in a week of games, so something to keep your eye on all credit to them for playing so well in New York against a team that does pitch very well going against nasty Nestor Cortez going against Garrett Cole and his red ass. Okay. We got to talk about Garrett Cole. We got to talk about this. Uh, We talked about Alec Manoa, all these guys pitching. Well, we talked about Aaron judge kind of struggling. We talked about Garrett Cole having a meltdown because he got beat by Santiago Espinal and Alejandro Kirk, but we haven't talked about, Alec Manoa doing the thing that Alec Manoa does, and he hits batters. He hits more people than anyone I can remember. To the point where today, so I was, full disclosure, I was out of town. I was at the the cottage doing beach stuff, dad stuff. But I was obviously keeping my eyes on the game as much as I could. I checked my phone, and I was like, what's Alec Manoa doing? And he was in the third inning. I'm like, oh, look, he hasn't hit anybody yet. Little did I know that he was ready and waiting to plunk Aaron Judge and cause a little mini scene Caitlin, is that how you would describe it?
2: Yeah it, def- it didn't really graduate to a bench. it, wasn't, it was not incident. a dust up there was no there no. were no clouds of dust. It was there no, were no handbags swung. No, not a kerfuffle or anything. It was just a brief partial bench emptying mostly on the Yankee side, mostly just to rear back Garrett Cole for some reason, it was kind of confusing. I feel like the Blue Jays were kind of confused by it. Um, Not because it's like, it's, I understand like sometimes when you, the guys get hit, it's heat of the moment and stuff like that happens. But I think because it was kind of Garrett Cole coming out of nowhere, it was a little bit confusing because it seemed like very quickly Manoa was trying to diffuse the situation with Judge very quickly, kind of, trying to go up to him and say, I wasn't trying to do that. And then in the, and then, and then behind him, Garrett Cole's being held back.
1: I will really, really quick recap the scene as best I can for anyone who didn't see it and who's listening to this. Uh, Alec Manoa on the hill. Alec Manoa loves hitting guys more than anyone loves anything else. Came up and in on Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge turned, kind of got it in the elbow pad. No harm done. You know, it's unfortunate. A little bit up and in. Alec Manoa, as he does, kind of saunters off the mound, gets kind of closer to the plate. Aaron Judge sort of took takes like a bit of a, a wide berth. Like he, he, he didn't shy away from getting closer to uh, to Manoa, two extremely large individuals. They just kind of made their way down. Nothing really seemed like it was said. And then you see, as the kind of, uh, you know, the umpire is there with, with Judge, might have been the catcher as well. You see Judge point to the dugout, his own dugout, and say, whoa, 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 it's all good. Like, hands up, palms up. Like, don't worry, guys. No harm, no foul. We're all boys here. But that did not stop Garrett Cole, who, as Stoughton astutely pointed out, hit Matt Chapman, like, in the back, in a, in a ball that looked like it hit him in the head. It hit him in the shoulder and kind of came up. I mentioned it a little bit earlier yesterday. And now there's Matt Chapman, there's Garrett Cole, losing his mind, screaming from the grass. Now, he didn't come all, he came out of the dugout, but he didn't come out of the foul line. He didn't get into the field of play. He kind of just was standing close enough to be heard and seen, but he was not in what we would describe as harm's way, which, of course, prompted an all-world quote from Alec Manoa. Do you remember what he said?
2: I don't want to misquote him, so let me read it off. So
1: This is a very good quote. As Caitlin's looking, if you're uh, by, not by your phone, grab your phone and go to Caitlin's Twitter account, where you can get even additional context.
2: <laughs> yeah, so... This is Alec Manoa answering a question about the situation hitting Judge and what and how whatever unfolded after that. I'm not trying to do that. And I think he, meaning judge, understood that. I think if Garrett wants to do something, he can walk past the Audi sign next time.
1: So again, for further context, if you go to Caitlin's tweet, there is an Audi branding, like branded ad on the foul line that's probably, I don't know, six feet wide and 15 feet long. And Cole got nowhere near that, nowhere near the, near the foul, foul line, which is that Cole was running his fool mouth from a very safe distance away from a very large man. And then Alec Manoa said, if he wants to come on past the Audi logo, which is uh, solid, very, very solid. And then, and then he went over to judge and they talked like close face to face, didn't seem to be a great deal of animosity. And then on, everybody went with their day until of course the post game when, when Alec Manoa throws out this glorious barb. So very interesting times in New York. End of the day, the Blue Jays take three of four from the Yankees here on Sunday. Seattle lost again. Which they you'd were love playing to the see. A's, weren't they? Yeah, they lost, they lost at least two in a row to the A's, which is fantastic.
2: The, Manners, uh, the, Rose. the Rays won.
1: The Rays won, but they're you basically
2: know. all. I think the situation with the um standings right now is they're all basically at the same amount of let me just double check they're at all at 55 losses nope sorry Seattle's at 56 so oh because they just lost sorry I must have looked at it before that game had finished so yeah Tampa Bay and the Blue Jays are at 65 and 55 Seattle is at 66 and 56 and the Blue Jays will visit the Boston Red Sox next, who are playing the Orioles right now as we speak, I think. I don't think that game is tied 2-2. The Red Sox just tied it up in the eighth. So the Blue Jays probably like going into Fenway. They play the Red Sox really well this year.
1: There's a part of me that hopes that the Red Sox um, win this game for a variety of reasons. Number one, of course, it means that the, the Orioles would take the loss and sort of slip a little bit further past. If the Orioles lose tonight, they will be tied with the White Sox. Um, in the wild card race, still looking up at Minnesota, and as well as the the aforementioned Jays, uh, uh, blue the Jays, Rays, and, and Mariners. But if the Red Sox win tonight, that means they have a 500 record, which completely changes the narrative around the Blue Jays and their inability to beat teams with a sub 500 record. Well, they, right now, they, the blue they Jays, beat them
2: three times this weekend. Although the Yankees haven't been playing like a 500 baseball team right now.
1: I know, but like it's so stupid because it's just it's so conditional. So right now the Blue Jays are 34 and 43 against teams with a 500 record. But the Blue Jays have beat the Red Sox here, there, and everywhere this year. But if the Red Sox win, they have a 500 record, and it changes the entire thing. It's just so stupid. Yes, the Blue Jays have struggled.
2: But then also, if the Jays beat them on the first night, then the next night they'd play them, they'd be a below 500 team. And then they would beat them again, or they would lose to them, and then the next night they would be playing a 500 team. So like in the span of a series, they could play three different sort of like matchups with a 500 team or below 500 team or an above 500 team.
1: If the Red Sox win tonight, the Blue Jays record against 500 teams goes to 44 and 46. Like it's completely different. It just changes the whole chem- the whole equation here, which is so dumb. Yes. There are teams against which the Jays have struggled. There are, there are matchup problems that as we've sort of discussed here, there and everywhere, the style of offense, that the Blue Jays have fashioned this year makes them sometimes I think, a little bit easy to pitch against if you have a certain kind of pitching staff. Maybe like the way the, or the, the Orioles bullpen, for example. There's still a lot of similarity between those hitters. Could be a problem. But doesn't mean that there's some kind of something lacking in the Blue Jays. They're, they're lacking spark. They're lacking fire. They don't have the good leadership. It's because of the fucking jacket because they're running around. It's dumb. None of it means anything. Blue Jays do have to go in and beat this Red Sox team. If you can figure out the Red Sox... Uh, I encourage you to take a, a big wild shot because they are just such a mystery. They are 6-4 in their last 10. If, As mentioned, if they do win, they will be back to 500. The Blue Jays have played them and beat them handily to speak nothing of the 28-5 to five shellacking they handed the Red Sox. The Blue Jays run differential against the Red Sox is plus 43 in 13 games. Pretty good, but... You, if you're the Blue Jays, you cannot help but feel good going into Fenway. Not, you have to think about what you did last time. But you also have to think about the fact that you're a better team than they are. And this is a great opportunity to continue to to, to pick up wins, to continue to make the, the teams like the Mariners and the Rays chase you as much as you chase them.
2: I don't know if this is good news or bad news, but the Blue Jays, I think I saw today on Twitter from one of the Red Sox beat reporters that Nathan Ivaldi is not going to be pitching on Tuesday against the Jays. I guess he was scheduled to, but that's not going to be happening. Which, again, I don't know if that's good news or bad news because the Jays last time, well, he was pitching in that 28-5 to game and the Blue Jays have handled him really well this year. And I don't know who, but also I I don't know who the Red Sox would would turn to and it doesn't look like the, the matchups are listed yet because there's an off day tomorrow. So they're for both teams, I think, or at least for the Jays. So they're not listed yet. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like the Jays have played well at Fenway this year. I think they've just played really well against the Boston Red Sox. Like they talk about like teams matching up well against each other. Like they seem to the Jays seem to match up well against the Red Sox, and they are a confusing team. They are, just are really inconsistent. It feels like there's two versions of that team, and you don't know which one is going to show up. And th- I kind of wrote this, and maybe we could sort of end the episode talking about this or whatever. But like watching this blue Jays team and throughout this season and watching this season unfold it just seems like there's so many times where you think the blue Jays are gaining a little bit of momentum I don't I think you don't like that word but they're just gaining a little bit of steam or you're just you look like the team's in a good place and you just want to keep it rolling and so I, I tried to sort of frame my piece about if the blue Jays caught the Yankees at a low point and that helped them get out of their low point you kind of have to hope that they keep going because there's only six weeks left in the season here blue jays have a pretty parts of their schedule remaining are pretty soft and i'm not talking about the orioles anymore but they do have a series coming up against the angels they play the cubs they've still got games against the pirates i believe so there are
1: all in a row basically (laughs) all those teams yeah
2: so there's a lot of room here for the blue jays to build that cushion that they sort of let get away from them a little bit earlier that to me is just has to be the focus and I think you could if you're the Blue Jays you could kind of maybe dream on the Yankees continuing to falter and you could dream on getting the division but to me the the focus has to be just getting into that top wild card spot and trying to stay there and build that cushion so that come September down the stretch you are playing intense baseball, but you're not playing for your playoff lives.
1: No, you're right. I think that that you want to stay. Uh, I don't know, sharp is the right, is the right word. You want to be in control. Uh, we're de- going deep into the bag of cliches tonight, but like you want to remain t- in control of your own destiny. You know, you don't want to be like scoreboard watching. You want to be able to go out and be like, if we we're going to win tonight, and then everything else will take care of itself from that point moving forward. And beating up on those bad teams, beating up on the Red Sox, I think is is, is a, this is a good opportunity for the Blue Jays to really, you know, momentum, any of that stuff doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's a good chance to get wins, right? The Blue Jays have the chance to win a bunch of baseball games, which is exactly what they need to do. There's no substitute for that at this time of year when they're in a, in a tight playoff race like they are. Maybe it's, Maybe I'm I'm a, a hater. Uh, it's entirely possible, but like I, I can't help but think that maybe the, the, the Orioles' best part of their season is kind of behind them now, and they had a really great rush run. But to expect them to stick around in the in the in the playoff race as they are, sort of sliding back a little bit. You know, again, they could win tonight and change everything. But if they continue to kind of lose games, and then they're sitting there and they're fighting with Chicago, looking up at. At whoever Seattle or whoever is above them, like that just gets really gets really dicey, right? When you're when you're in there and you have to fight through all those teams, the Blue Jays get the Red Sox, they get the Angels, they get the Cubs, they get the Pittsburgh, and they get Pittsburgh all in order, and then Baltimore and then Texas. So yeah, we can't look, You don't want to look past Baltimore at this point, but you can look ahead and be like, there's a lot of opportunity to win games, and that's all they need to do. And this series in the, against the Red Sox has a really good opportunity for the Blue Jays to win games because their best starter this year, Nick Pavetta starts started here tonight on Sunday, Michael Walker, who's come back from the, from the injured list and pitched really well. He pitched on Saturday. So they're going to miss those two guys. And then when you add as you, as you noted that they're going to miss Evaldi as well, starting pitching isn't everything, but the Red Sox bullpen is no great shakes either. So, if you have the opportunity, to really to just go in every single night, I think it's 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 silly to think about. Well, they got to win two out of three here. They got to win two out of three here. Two out of three. Go in every night and feel like we have a really good chance to win tonight. We have a chance to win because we're a good team, number one. We have a chance to win because the team on the other field on the other side of the field isn't starting one of their best guys, or is the Pirates. So we have a really good chance to win because they're the Pirates, and then or they're the Angels on a night when Otani is is uh, not pitching, or even if he is, he. Pitched here uh, Sunday in uh, in Detroit. Didn't left look so game. great.
2: And you left the he game. He left the game, game they said,
1: with a, with, a, with a stomach buggy, but four runs in four innings. Walked a bunch of guys. But so you can look ahead and think, we're going to try to win this, each game every single night. And for the next two weeks almost, you can feel like they you're in a good, if you're the Blue Jays, like you have a good chance to do exactly that. The Blue Jays, like I said, that's, that's crazy. They get, so they go Boston, LA, Chicago, uh, cubs pittsburgh baltimore texas and then so it's not until september 12th that they're in a series against the rays a team that's above them in the standing so this is a big opportunity
2: technically for the Blue Jays. tied with them right they have the same record
1: you're, you're right you're right uh, but I'm they thinking have of like tears but
2: they have wins in hand or they have the season matchup so far yeah they haven't played all the games yet so you can't really say they have the tie break yet
1: fair so Either way, this is a crucial stretch of the Blue Jays' season. crucial a crucial stretch, stretch to just do exactly that to win games. Momentum, playing well, they've got momentum. They've they've had one great turn through the rotation. That's the, and now they have the opportunity to do two, even three, full great turns of the rotation. But also they can overcome if they get a bad outing because they're playing against teams like the Angels that don't know how to score runs. They're playing against a team like the Cubs that is are a complete rebuild. They're playing against a team like the Pirates that are the Pirates. Like none of those things bode well for the opposition. So. Great opportunity for the Blue Jays. Started up on Tuesday in Boston. Come off an off day. Off day in New York. Off day in Boston. Everybody's chilling. Everybody's having a good time. The vibe has been quietly reset. Lots to look forward to.
2: And I just wanted to add to the earlier point that you said, like, about maybe the offense getting going a little bit more. Sometimes playing teams where their pitching isn't great can get you going a little bit in the sense of maybe it builds some confidence. Maybe it gets some guys going you know if danny jansen gets a few knocks maybe he gets going a little bit just feeling a lot better so blue jays their rough stretch cohen I, I and i know that this isn't a great to use this excuse because you have to hit good pitching but the blue jays did not match up very well against the baltimore um bullpen and also cleveland really good pitching staff so i think that this starting with this yankee series having some better at bats, better approaches and building off that can maybe be help the offense sort of find their find their best
1: selves again. Exactly. I think that those two things go hand in hand. Yeah, you can get fat facing facing bad bad pitching, but you can also probably maybe correct some ills. You can keep keep things simple. You can get you're maybe more likely to get an extra mistake and then put all of your good process into action by hitting a ball off that goofy fence in left field, and then what would have been a fly-out is suddenly a double, and you're feeling like a million bucks. Speaking of a million bucks, it doesn't cost a million bucks to subscribe to the Athletic at theathleticcom rate. You can go there, you can subscribe, and read everything that Caitlin writes. Caitlin is en route to Beantown, Town eventually, not right away. Eventually, well, we talked about it off air. Sounds like a very sensible itinerary. Nothing crazy, no goofy, you know, beat writer travails tra- travel. It's gonna be a good time.
2: Let me say, I am so looking forward to these next few travel days for me because they don't involve any early mornings because boy, do I have a brutal stretch at the end of the year on some of my travel plans. I have a flight that is going to, I just know it is going to wreck me. (laughs) And it was like choosing between one form of torture or the other, trying to decide which flight i should take anyway it's very early it's very early but whatever it's fine i find like when it's so early it doesn't matter anymore like i was trying to decide between a 705 and a 615 and i was like talking to uh, one of the jspr guys he was sitting beside me at the time i was like which one he was like i mean if you're getting up that early it really doesn't matter
1: as soon as you're getting up on the on someone else's terms on the terms of the alarm clock as soon as you're having to arrange transit to get from here to there, it doesn't matter.
2: Oh, yeah. It's it's like when I'm waking up at, some, at a time where sometimes I go to bed at that time, that's when you know it's too early.
1: Late night McGrath here. Giving us the dish. I guess it's part of the job.
2: Sometimes it is. Sometimes I'm up very late because I get home and I'm like working all day and working all night then i got home and i was like i want to relax for a little bit but it is 1 (laughs) a.m so what do i do
1: (laughs) when you are on that you know that kind of late night tightrope sort of i mean i i don't know that you write to deadline too often but you're still like if i'm going to write about something if you're going to write about something happening in the game it needs the the more time timeliness is key so it's like i gotta get this done tonight so you're that that kind of adrenaline that is rushing and then as soon as you're like Oh, it's time to go home. It's not like you can just be like, "I'm gonna go lie down and fall asleep now." It takes time to decompress.
2: That was the weirdest thing about like the COVID year, where I was working from home doing the Zooms, because then it was like right after the game, then you close your computer laptop, and I'm like, now I'm gonna go to this next room and go to bed now. <laughs> so it's actually, it's actually, I didn't love it because honestly, I do like the decompress time that I get at the Rogers Center going home afterwards on the subway. And then if I'm on the road, sometimes at Yankee Stadium, for example, I'm going back to my hotel on the subway. Sometimes it's a walk back to a hotel, whatever it may be though. It is nice to have that decompressed time after you write, just getting home. If you sometimes you're listening to music or podcasts or reading.
1: I think that if the tool you use at your work is a laptop. The work conditions of a baseball writer are unique because it is loud at your work all for the whole day until of course at the end when it's not when it's dead silent
2: no but sometimes it's not because then they have the leaf blowers no because then when they're cleaning the stadium afterwards everyone leaves and we're doing post game and then the people who all the workers who come and clean up the stands afterwards use these leaf blowers because they blow all the garbage out from the seats and into the aisle so that they can clean it. So actually most of the time when I'm writing, I'm writing my own most intense thoughts and my best work, my Pulitzer prize, potentially winning articles. <laughs> and I'm just listening to this, the, the, the soundtrack of leaf blowers.
1: It's and a din. It's a din of leaf blowers.
2: I would, I would say like being a sports writer, they don't teach you this in journalism school. And I guess, cause they don't teach being a sports writer in journalism school. They're like, everyone should go into news and radio and be, broadcasters and then a few of us are like no we're just gonna write about sports anyway uh they do not they do not like there should be a course in journalism school where you're like locked into a room and then they just start playing all these crazy loud sounds leaf blowers like sometimes just random blaring music also just random like hecklers shouting at you because that happens at the Rogers center too (laughs) with the hotel rooms open and then you just a chorus of like Go Jays go and you're like and everyone's <laughs> drunk. So that should be a course in journalism school where you just you got and then you got to file 800 words while all that noise is happening.
1: You got to run from the press box down to the to the clubhouse where there is like incredibly loud uh, like reggaeton playing or like the most obnoxious like idiot country music playing and you're trying to talk to someone then you got to go back up and you got to listen to your quote and you got to relive those that music and those sounds but like at 65% speed so it's like this obnoxious country song has now been slowed down and it's like what is wrong with Jason Aldean's voice he sounds like shit but it's it's a it's weird it's a weird job and all that stimulus all day long when you're at the ballpark and it's in the, the you're there for BP and, and you hurry up and wait and you're chilling and then you're writing and then you're chilling and then you're waiting and then you're interviewing and then you're running and then you're writing and then they're blowing leaves or, or whatever is happening after. And I've told the story a million times, but my, my best memory of that was opening day in 2014. And that was when Masahiro Tanaka started. And then Roy Halladay threw the first pitch because he had retired. And then after the game, I was writing about Tanaka and then halliday and his family came running out and like ran all the way out and were like pretending to pitch they were like like Halliday was working with his one of his sons and he was like on the mound and like winding up and pretending to throw and then his other kids pretending to field and he's like working on his mechanics which was like so distracting because i'm trying to work but i'm like watching this this beautiful moment down below of course only made even more bittersweet here in the in, in with the benefit of hindsight But uh, that's not a normal work environment. Like I work on a laptop every day when I'm doing my regular job. I don't have that. I don't have, I have leaf floors because I work from home and maybe like the guy who's a firefighter doesn't work nine to five. You know what I mean? But not quite the same. Not quite the same. Anyway, we've prattled on long enough.
2: Yeah. No one wants to hear me complaining about my working conditions.
1: You're not complaining. We're adding, (laughs) we're contextualizing. I said it's a weird work environment. There's a lot of stimulus at the ballpark because there's music and there's lights. And the blue... God, those fucking lights now, I can't even imagine. You would go home and feel like you've been at a rave all night long. Those That crazy flashing scoreboard. Anyway, her name is Caitlin McGrath. My name is Drew Fairservice. Enjoy the series against the Red Sox. Things are looking up. Things are looking good. Blue Jays land. Ricky Romero and I will be back later this week to talk all about the ongoings at Fenway. Hopefully... We're able to talk in glowing, excited, positive terms then as we were now. It's Caitlin, my name is Drew. We'll talk to you next time on SpinRay.